Welcome to Haven Today at Christmas time. Remember live Christmas concerts? I think that's one of the things I miss the most this COVID Christmas. My wife and I relish high church music at Christmas time and singing aloud with others. A few years ago, we saw a brass ensemble from a major city symphony orchestra. There was a world-class organist who's a follower of Jesus. There were the traditional carols. There were more obscure classical Christmas pieces with biblical roots. Like from Bach, there was secular Christmas, jingle bells, white Christmas in Spanish. But then there were the comments by world-class musicians in between. Christmas is about family. It's about love. Good words, but words that got me thinking. What is Christmas? Where does Christmas joy come from? And Isaiah gives the answer. True joy, joy we need, comes from God sending his son, the Messiah. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, Prince of Peace, joy comes from Jesus Christ at Christmas. I'm Charles Morris, and this is a program on Haven Today called Promises Made, Promises Kept. Translations differ. Sometimes it says branch, other times rod, sometimes shoot, all titles for the Messiah, and a word out of the Hebrew used by the prophets. Jeremiah used it, Zechariah used it, and Isaiah all identified the Messiah as this branch. In these next few minutes together, my prayer is for you to find the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Messiah in you this Christmas. And we will look together at Isaiah 11, a classic text for finding the Messiah, Christ Jesus. Now, as we get started here on this Tuesday before Christmas, it's a little too late to send you something by December 25th, But let me make a suggestion. Your gifts this week are still tax deductible and could really help this 100% listener-supported ministry meet our year-end goal. But as a thank you for your gift to us, I'd like to send you or someone you love something that will bless them in this year to come. It's called the Laugh and Grow Bible for Kids, the gospel in 52 five-minute Bible stories, Phil Vischer wrote it. He created Veggie Tales. It's an insightful book to help everyone better understand the Bible and the story of redemption from beginning to end. The Laugh and Grow Bible will help you and your family or a family you love to stay connected to Jesus as the new year begins or to maybe meet Jesus for the very first time. Call us after the program at 800 654 2836. That's 800-65-HAVEN. Or you can go to our website and you can look at sample pages from this Laugh and Grow Bible and make your year-end gift there at haventoday.org. Haventoday.org. And just before our first song, we still have Handel's Messiah. Lyrics straight out of the Bible pointing us to Jesus. This is music to listen to all the year. After all, it was originally written for Easter. Now let's begin with a group from Ireland, Rend Collective. Ding dong, 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 ding dong
tongue, verily the sky is written with angels singing. Hosanna in excelsis. So here below, below a steeple bells be swung, and the yo 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 by priests and people sung in. This is Haven Today in a program called Promises Made, Promises Kept. I'm Charles Morris. Ding dong, merrily on high by Rend Collective. That very first Christmas came 700 years after Isaiah prophesied, and we'll look in a moment at his prophecy of a branch, a root, and a shoot, all found in Isaiah. The infant Jesus looked small weak, insignificant, and yet that smallness and apparent weakness is no indication of what that sprout might become or what that baby would become. You know, whether you accept him or not, much of the wisdom of the world sneers at Christianity. Jesus Christ, a man who was born in the humblest of circumstances, was what really must have looked like just a tiny little shoot coming out of a dead stump. But with all of that, there is no argument that this man has had and continues to have massive historical, military, political, cultural significance more than any other person in history. Sneer, if you want, the influence of Jesus, the man who was more than a man, the God-man. He's the most significant person in history. I want us to ask and then answer three questions from this text. First, what's the Messiah like? Second, what's his kingdom like? And third, who is this Messiah? So the first question, what is the Messiah like? The answer, I hope, will be particularly satisfying if you're discouraged with the political process you see around you. Believers and people who aren't Christians seem more cynical about the political process and political leaders today. A lot of people have been disillusioned by domestic political leaders on both sides of the aisle and even frightened by the unpredictable and sometimes evil behavior by world leaders outside our borders. And if that's you, if you're despairing about human leadership, if you're discouraged, maybe bordering on cynical, Isaiah's prophecy here ought to be encouraging to you. Listen to the first few verses of Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a shoot. From the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight 
shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earthland, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Isaiah 11, the opening verses, he looks to the future, and the one who is wise, powerful, and holy, his spirit imbues wisdom. He has spirit-endowed power to put that wisdom into action, and he is holy. Here is the one who delights in the fear of the Lord. Oh, to have a leader like that. This leader is not fooled by appearances. He sees through the surface to the reality. He has a passion for justice. He has a heart for the marginalized, the weak, the little guy. This is good news. This is a great leader. But I left one thing out. And depending on who you are and where you are in the world, the description that the Messiah is committed to the destruction of the wicked might cause you to celebrate on the one hand or be offended on the other. There are plenty of people in cultures and countries around the world, I'm thinking of Somalia, that can't wait for the Messiah to come and to judge and to kill the wicked. But in the prosperous West, we hear that as arcane, barbaric, unnecessary, irrelevant. I'm not so sure it's as irrelevant, though, as we like to think. It's true. Nobody where I live wants to self-identify as wicked. And that word is a powerful word, isn't it? We might admit that we have a few faults, but wicked? Come on, I'm not that bad. But you know, in the larger context of Isaiah's prophecies, he sheds light on who the wicked are. And the wicked are people who you might look at and say, this is a good person. This is a socially good person functioning in society, doing well. But in their living, what they do is arrogantly put down God or arrogantly ignore the reality of God. They're people who take credit for what God invisibly does. In Isaiah 10, 13, there's a quote from one of these people. These are the people who say, by the strength of my hand, I've done it. We like to think that way, don't we? I have. But it's not close to the whole story, is it? And here, there is no nod to God, no gratitude to the divine. It's my strength, my hand, I've done it. That is what the Bible means by wickedness. It's that ignoring or putting down, that arrogant ingratitude toward God, There's a book out that's called The Atheist Guide to Christmas. It's a fascinating book, and it's a serious book. It's a book written by atheists for atheists. It's a collection of essays, some serious, some humorous, some scientific, some philosophical, but all addressing other atheists saying, how do we handle Christmas? What do we do with it? These are decent, intelligent, educated people, people that you'd probably like to have as your next door neighbor. But we're talking about wickedness here from Isaiah. Let me read the last line of one of these essays. And so, as Tiny Tim would have observed if he had grown up in my house, random circumstance and the smooth operation of the laws of the universe bless us, everyone. You see what he's done to Dickens? He's taken God out and he's replaced it with what? Random circumstances and the smooth operations of the law of the universe? Well, that's what wicked is. You see it again with a woman in the same book, and her essay refers to God as a cackling, maniacal boss. And then she actually corrects herself. And now I'm quoting. 
Actually, I don't believe the boss is there at all. I think we're all freelancers. We're all in charge. And again, here's a person who you might probably like to have as your neighbor, probably a pleasant person, a person who would never self-identify as wicked. This sort of arrogant put-down of the reality of the God of the universe is wicked. And it's not anything new that they'd like you to think. There's a sort of sense when you read the book that we're sort of on the cutting edge and this is all sort of new and refreshing. No, not true. It's at least 2,700 years old. Isaiah was addressing these same kinds of statements. You almost laugh in Isaiah chapter 10 again when Isaiah talks about these people as like the axe boasting that it's better than the man who swings it. Or the saw magnifying itself over the carpenter who does the sawing. That's wickedness, according to the Bible. And so, you know, it's sort of Christmas should be a heads-up time. It's going to be a season where, again, you sort of push him away. Or are you going to face what we claim to be real and what the Bible claims to be true? So we've talked about what's the Messiah. But second, what's his kingdom like? And that's in the next four verses of Isaiah 11. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains." For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Four more verses in Isaiah 11. And they're describing the kingdom. And up until verse 5 that we read a few moments ago, this could be Isaiah's description as he's looking forward into history of a very effective human leader, a king. But then you get to the description of the kingdom. And very quickly, you realize that something sort of superhuman is going on here because the description of the kingdom is such that no human leader could accomplish what it says this kingdom is. Isaiah reverts to poetry in what I just read you. What is poetry? It's an attempt to describe a reality where language fails. But you need to know that even poetry fails. That what Isaiah is poetically describing here pales in comparison to what reality is going to be. And what you gather from this description is that the Messiah is not coming to make the world a better place. He's coming to make the world a new place, a different place. This description of what the kingdom is, it's like describing a transformation of the nature of reality. Life on planet Earth fundamentally changes. Animal nature changes. Human nature changes. Danger is vanquished. Death is gone. War is a memory. Peace reigns. And in that beautiful closing line, and the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord and the waters cover the sea. Now, this isn't a prophecy that you need an advanced theological degree to understand. Isaiah looks ahead to what it's going to be. You are going to be in a personal, intimate relationship with the Creator. You're going to touch the face of the one who made you. You'll sit down at a table and eat with him a real meal, not a symbolic meal. Now, this may strike you, especially if you're not a believer this Christmas, as really far out. What's this preacher on the radio been smoking? Well, heaven is real. 
It's amazing. When you talk to people about heaven, how radically wrong their depiction of heaven, even from a Christian point of view. I even run into Christians who have that same sort of feeble, incorrect concept of heaven and the future. Back to the Atheist Guide for Christmas. One of the contributors there describes the Christian view of heaven. He says, this is why I want nothing to do with Christianity. Heaven is a place of happy cotton candy bunnies grinning inanely and eternally, their minds switched off forever as they forfeit all memory of life and become part of an indivisible organism of collective euphoria. Really? You can't be more wrong about the Christian view of heaven, about the biblical view of heaven. And really, quite frankly, what that writer in this atheist book is doing is describing a Buddhist view and a neo-pagan view, saying this about Christianity. If that's what heaven is, I want to reject cotton candy bunnies too. <laughs> Christian hope this Christmas is not the hope of an atheist at Christmas time. Even sweet moments, though, and pleasant memories are not true hope at Christmas time. Look at your view of the world and see if there really is any realistic hope in it. Because there, in moments and in memories, there is no hope. Our true hope, the Christian hope, is in He who has come and is coming again and is the only begotten Son of God. And now to the third question, who is this Messiah? I say it's Jesus, but why do I say it's Jesus based on this text in Isaiah? I say that because in verse 1, what's the Messiah called? A shoot from the stump of Jesse. And let me use shoot instead of branch or rod because it works nicely in English. It's the same word. He's the shoot from the stump of Jesse. But then in verse 10, what is he called? The root, the root of Jesse. So we've gone in verse 1 from the shoot from Jesse to the root of Jesse. There is a mystery. How can one person, one and the same, be a shoot from Jesse and at the same time the root of Jesse in a prophecy 700 years before Jesus was born? The answer is in the Christmas story. The angel appearing to the Virgin Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him to the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And that's the answer. The God who created Jesse entered into the human line of Jesse by being born to Mary. Only God can do that. Only one who's God and a human being can resolve that mystery. Jesus is the one and only God-man. 100% divine, 100% human, the son of Mary, in the line of David, in the line of Jesse. It's a mind-bender, but it's the only way you can resolve the mystery in Isaiah 11. It's just part of the wonder of Christmas. One last thing. I need to quote verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the people's of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, referring to the Messiah returning, the root of Jesse standing as a signal for all people. You see, we have someone who has died for our sins. We have a great Redeemer. Merry Christmas. 
Travis Cottrell here on Haven Today. What child is this? And I'm Charles Morris. And if you're like me, you're looking forward to Christmas at the end of the week. It'll be a little odd this year with no family coming to visit, and we're not visiting family. But I'm thankful my wife will be with me, and we'll be able to talk. We're actually calling it a Zoom Christmas this year. And I'm looking forward to seeing what the Lord will do in the year to come, no matter what may come. 
I pray the challenges of this year will keep us dependent upon the Lord and desiring to hear from Him through His Word and to help you and your family do that. We can still send you Phil Vischer's Laugh and Grow Bible for Kids, the gospel in 52 five-minute Bible stories. From Genesis to Revelation, 52 stories written by the man who came up with veggie tales, pointing you and those you love to the gospel found in all the scriptures. It was written to give you a bird's-eye view of the Bible in a year, and I can't think of a better way for you to start 2021. And don't forget, even though you can't get it before December 25th, you should have it in your library. If you don't, Handel's Messiah. It's not just any other Christmas project or album. It was originally written for Easter, and I listen to it all year round. So here, as we come up to the end of 2020, would you help us meet our budget goal for the end of the month? And if you'd like, ask for us to send along in response to your gift, the Laugh and Grow Bible or Handel's Messiah. Now, here's the number that you need to call right now. 800-654-2836. That's 800-65-HAVEN. Or our website where you can actually see what the Bible looks like or you can listen to some of Handel's Messiah. You can make your gift there at haventoday.org, haventoday.org. I'm Charles Morris. Thanks for joining me. Won't you come back again tomorrow here at Christmas time as we share together the great story that's all about Jesus here on Haven Today. Here for your encouragement and your walk with God, this is David Wolin with Haven Ministries inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. Some movies are so predictable. The minute you start them, you already know how they're going to end. And sometimes we find ourselves thinking that way about God. We think we've seen this before. We know what God is going to do and how. But from people to snowflakes, the one who never creates the same thing twice, never writes the same plot twice. God is the master of originality and surprise. He told the prophet Habakkuk, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. And I think the ultimate example of that is when God himself came in the form of a baby in a manger, the ultimate plot twist. Get more from God's Word daily. Visit GetAnchor.com.